Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. I'm taking my headphones off for a little bit because Crunchyroll won't stop playing an advertisement with sound that I can't mute because I just opened up a chapter, and it's very annoying. Um, it's probably because I'm not... It logged me out! I had the chapter open, and it logged me out. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm very angry about this. All right. Chris, we're going to talk about manga today. We and I'm are. going to log into fucking Crunchyroll because it keeps logging me out whenever I want to do something. While you're doing that, Nick, I'm going to regale you with a very short story. Okay. I currently work at a card store. Okay. Uh, but one thing that the store also sells is rock t-shirts. It's actually where a lot of the business comes from. Because a lot hmm. of people come in and they're like, yeah, man, I love Grateful Dead. I want some of those t-shirts. So I There's a t- Pokemon card game? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what? Uh, so I was getting a t-shirt out for somebody and it's like behind this counter. And I'm going through, and you know that I've been sick recently. Yes. And I had a situation completely uncontrollable where as I was like pulling these shirts out, I was like going underneath to find another size. It was basically uh, a woman and a guy who were getting the shirt together. And I didn't feel it coming on. But a little snot dribbled out of my nose. Oh and, no! Uh, and fell oh on, no! And fell onto the T-shirt. Ooh! <laughs> Not the one they were buying, but the one on top okay. of it. And I know that the woman saw it happen. The guy, I think, was too distracted. I don't know. A butterfly flew through the room, and he was watching that. But it was Ooh. it was the moment where I was like, "How do I? How do tact- I dress this? How yeah. do I tactfully handle this?" And I did. I threw the rest of the shirts back in and I ran into the back to like wipe my nose. And uh, I've told no one. So this is just my dirty little secret to you, Nick. Uh, and that woman who watched it happen and politely said nothing, but presumably was mortified afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it was the kind of situation where it's like you're probably just better off saying nothing about yeah. it. <laughs> Chris, we have so much manga to talk about today. And a lot of it, it made me angry, so uh, I think that we'll get into it. Why don't we? Yeah, let's do it, Nick. Let's, let's get into it. Uh, all right. It's the recap portion of Week of Manga Recap, everyone. We're going to start with chapter number 219 of My Hero Academia. Go, slide and go. So I want to point out that this chapter is named after a new hero that was introduced. Um, and he does nothing. So I don't know why the chapter is named after him. Maybe they really wanted to make a little pun. Anyway, last time, Bakugo and Todoroki had just gotten their provisional hero licenses, and they came across a bunch of thieves with quirks that were stealing stuff in the street. That's bad. And this this chapter is about them stopping them. And basically the point of the sequence that unfolds is that Todoroki's got a lot more control of his powers, and Bakugo is a lot better about uh, being mindful of things other than exploding people. Uh, he makes sure to get everyone's purses and wallets back. He makes sure to protect a woman who is too busy taking a selfie, basically, to uh, get out of the way of a falling lamppost. Millennials, uh, am I right? Yeah, Always taking really. their selfies. Uh, All Might uh, actually uh, gets involved because he rushes in and tries to tackle her out of the way as the lamppost falls, but Bakugo makes sure to use an explosion to knock it uh, to the side. And then uh, Todoroki takes out the main criminal who has carbonation-based powers because he just blasts him with... uh, He calls it a flash-freeze heat wave, and uh, that essentially takes out the 
carbonation didn't neutralize it because of the heat. And uh, so due to the two of their efforts, they have won. And uh, Bakugo is very angry, just in general. He uh, is it, it's it's all played for played for you know comic effect. Like, hey, did 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 you make sure that no one was hurt? No, you idiot. Okay, what about that woman? No, you idiot. It's just you know that kind of thing. Mm. The aforementioned slide and go shows up. He slides around and he's got a really weird chin, and that's it. And um, he congratulates them on a job well done, and he hugs the two of them. Personal space, dude. Be a real hero. <laughs> the soda guy, it turns out, was wearing a pair of gauntlets, which then just kind of crumble apart around his wrists uh, at, while he's just lying there unconscious. And everyone continues, you know, just congratulate about going to Hiroki. And then we cut to the meeting of the uh, Men of Hours Liberation successors, I guess you could say. And uh, we learned that the CEO actually created the gauntlets and they are used to gather battle data whenever it seems that they're in any danger of being discovered, they may be self-destruct, which is why they crumbled around the criminal's wrists. Speaking of gathering information, uh, they have um, kidnapped a guy that we haven't seen in a long time. Oh, did, uh, did we meet this character before? Yes, okay. and I would not have remembered him if I hadn't watched the anime because he shows up a lot in season one. <laughs> uh, Giren is an information broker. Uh, you've seen him way back when the League of Villains was hanging out at that bar. Uh, that was where he would show up the most. Uh, and he was he had a close relationship with them. He was ne- I don't think he was ever officially part of the League of Villains, but he was pretty heavily involved with them. So he's been captured beaten up. He's got some bruises and, you know, broken nose, bleeding stuff, stuff like that. And, uh, he basically is just like, no, I'm not going to do business with you. You beat me up before I did, before you even talked to me. Why would I actually do business with you and give you information that I know of? League of villains. What league of villains? I don't know anything about them. They're like, shit, (laughs) he's better than we thought. (laughs) Uh, but he also says what kind of merchant would sell out his customers. So do whatever you want, basically. Uh, the CEO s- says, you and I are going to be spending plenty of time together, it seems. what well, makes a creepy face. Uh, but we cut away from there to a flashback. Uh, to a month and a half ago. Notably before we got the rankings uh, for, you know, Endeavor and Hawks and all of them. To uh, the League of Villains coming across, God, what is his full name? Gigantomachia, that huge ally of uh, all of all for one, who uh, was uh, not 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 too pleased to see them. Apparently, he uh, he's beating a bunch of them up. He's just screaming in anger and distress. He uh, is crying too. and he's uh, got Mr. Compress crushed in one of his hands. And uh, basically everyone who's there looks a bit beat up, except maybe for Shigaraki. It's kind of hard to tell. Uh, also, Dobby's not there, notable by his absence. Uh, but uh, it seems that their first uh, encounter has uh, not been a very friendly one. So that's where we leave off the end of the chapter. It's, it's a fine chapter. Um, 
it's, it's uh, there's a little bit of silliness to it where you're just like, it's very convenient. You built in a, a self-destruct feature into your gauntlets that uh, accurately determines when the dude who was wearing them loses, which is a very easily determinable thing. I guess it's like hooked up to their fucking heart rate or something. I don't know. Sure. And um, like when it slows, then uh... yeah, or, or something like, you know, whenever they're fucking really relaxed, they tell like a meditation app. They're like, why did my gauntlet self-destruct? <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I, I do, I am able to get behind that stuff. And I do like that. This has kind of become the way, like, you know, how one piece has those like, in between arcs like in between arcs it'll be like here's all the world building stuff and right i feel like uh my hero academia has kind of found its footing with that where it's like in between these arcs it's like let's kind of flash over to where these other factions are doing things right. oftentimes with the the villain group um so i'm curious to see where this goes yeah um it is nice to always get a little bit of this character stuff, and I, I honestly had not, not expecting uh, Giren to ever show up ever again. Uh, but uh, it makes sense, you know, if you're going to you know, go after the League of Villains to target him uh, in order to gather information. So, yeah, I could dig it. Yeah. All right, Nick, let's talk about it. <sighs> Nick, we got a fight, Nick. I'm everything we asked for. Okay, so I don't know what's going on with Food Wars. Uh, I don't know if the editors have told uh, Sukuda, um, hey, this is not going over well. Get to the fucking end of this and move on. Or if he's gotten bored of it or what. But we are going at a blistering pace through some of this stuff. And it's really suffering for it because nothing feels important at all. But to get into what actually happens in this chapter. So last time Takumi got his ass kicked, which is barely like noted in this chapter we get you know like the announcement being made that Arina beat him and like we see like Isami rushing up to his brother and that's like it and then Megumi's just like Takumi well Mr. Kiri's been acting weird and that's it okay she sees Asahi chatting with Arina as we saw at the end of the last chapter where he said that he was the only one who could you know give her what she wanted and this Chapter presumes that conversation with him referring to himself as I'm the hero come to save you, which is such a villain line. <laughs> I'm the hero. I'm the good guy. And you're just a dirty vault hunter. <laughs> so. Aaron is like, whatever, and walks away. <laughs> Which is probably the only good part of this chapter. It's just like, I will give you what you want. Cool. Go away. Bye. <laughs> Asahi notices that Megami was listening to the conversation. Megami basically just says, you should leave her alone. And, uh, hey, I just re I, I remember that I'm the next person to face you according to the newest tournament bracket. So guess let's do a Shokugeki. If I win, stop making advances on her now and forever. And Asahi's like, Hmm, 
okay, if you can defeat the Quiznier Noir that I have fi- that is up against you first, he's one of my subordinates. And it's the mask guy with like the guile hair that we've seen, you know, uh, little shots of. Uh, it's one of Asahi's inner circle, just like Sarge and just like the bartender guy. Yeah, so, you know, they're all going to be top tier. You know that he's going to be a real challenge. So Asahi's like, I'll accept your challenge, but don't expect it to be an easy fight. And he's like, Zhuang, do just like I told you, use those. And Zhuang's like, all right. And he reveals these finger cloths, uh, which he uses to score the meat that he's preparing. And we get this entire long, like it takes like three pages to get this explanation of what he's doing. And there's like a reference to like the five elements in Chinese mythology, but instead of the five elements, they're the five different tastes. And he is super skilled and he's using these assassins weapons in order to get the meat ready. That is amazing. Oh, he's amazing. And he's trash talking Megami. And he's like, Taste the flavors of your defeat and lament your fate to the uncaring heavens. And then we just get a shot of her in like a, an assassin's garb whipping him and his clothes coming off and she kicks his ass and we don't even see the dish he prepares and she wins. Yeah. All right. So, um, how to phrase this? Uh, you know, like when... You make a joke about something. Mm-hmm. And then it comes true. Yeah. And you're really, really sad because yeah. it was really only humorous. When it was because, exaggeration. Because you had a hope that it wouldn't actually end up being this way. But we are 100% going to get it that Megami's going to have one fight, one real Shokugeki during this. And she's going to get her shit pushed in. But it's going to end with the villain being like, I respect you, though. <laughs> and that's going to be it. At least when Takumi, you know, did this, it was like we actually got to, you know, have a couple of chapters dedicated to showing how much he had improved. And I guess that with Megami, the idea is that we got that earlier in the arc when she took on the king guy. Uh, but... <sighs> It doesn't feel important when your minor heroes lose to the bad guy if they don't actually feel skilled and important. And this arc has not done a good job of making Tsukasa and Takumi and Megami actually feel like meaningful victories for the people who take them out. The only important people in this arc are Asahi and Ariana and Soma. So why even bother with all of the rest of this stuff? Just like, can we just skip to the part where they face each other and just be done with it? Like, what did she make? I don't know. We, didn't, we don't even something know what that the theme ex- something of the that exemplified was. something that exemplified that freakish talent of yours. Hospitality was it? It's like, how does hospitality lead to you whipping a dude and him going through like an S and M thing? Like. I don't know. And it's a shame because Megami has one of the most interesting kind of cooking gimmicks in the series in that she may not be the most skilled chef, but she's absurdly considerate of the people she's cooking for. And that plays into her cooking style. It's very interesting because it's a difficult thing to get across right. But when you do it right, you make her feel really special because, it's you know, it was sort of the thing. You're not even betraying the character she was at the start of the series who was kind of like really like 
nervous and made a lot of mistakes in cooking because that's still kind of the character but what you know was come through is the the kind of right. confidence she has where she's found her style so when you get it right it's amazing but when you don't do anything you're just like cool other girl that i guess has to now be on the sideline while arena and soma and this love triangle thing has its conclusion like I don't know. It, this is just such a fucking unfortunate fucking slap in the face kind of end for this character. Because we know what's going to happen. Unless if the <laughs> next chapter fucking twists everything on its head and Megumi kicks the shit out of Asahi and he's not even relevant in the final arc, it, I would be amazed. I would applaud I would be ecstatic. this series till the end of time. But I'm willing to put money on the fact that she's just going to lose. But... She'll earn the respect of her opponent, which is the same thing that happened in the last arc, where it was also an enormous disappointment that Megami didn't do more. And then, or like Asahi will at the end be like, oh, thank you. Thank you, Tadakoro. You've proven to me that your talent is worth stealing. And yeah. that's, yeah. The... <sighs> also, I like um, how he has a giant suitcase full of knives when we know goddamn well one of the knives he just took was a chainsaw sword. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't see a giant plastic bag with a chainsaw sword in there. Uh, Who did this belong to again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, your Nazi S&M soldier partner? What? I have one of those? So, we do get this whole speech where Megami tears into Asahi for a bit because she's she's like this Zakiri was really scary at first but the closer we've gotten the more that I've seen the real her and you're upsetting her and honestly I'm a little bit mad at you right now and if you keep this up then I'm going to be really mad which is actually kind of kind of cute because it's like you know, Megami is just like so incapable of you know being hot blooded and emotional that she's like I'm going to get really mad at you <laughs> And then Asahi's just like, well, I guess it's immediately time for a Shokugeki. And he pulls out his knives and he's basically going to make the point of like this guy that you just that you just defeated. I'm going to use his tool and then I'm going to take the, you know, the monarch's tool and I'm going to cross their talents over. And then I'm going to show you what I'm really capable of by defeating you with these two guys that weren't even a challenge to you. Which, you know, it's like, all right, pretty power, power, nice power play. But who gives a shit? Like, come on. It'd be an intimidating move if we either, A, had some time to actually feel like Megami has a goal in this competition besides win because that's the thing you do in competitions. Or if this we didn't have the Sukasa fight and we didn't see how yeah. scary, powerful this guy is supposed to be. As it is now, it really just feels like one of those things where like, Ah, shit, we still have Megami that's supposedly in this tournament. I guess we have to handle her so we can get to the stuff we want to actually get to. Yeah, like, I mean, if if uh, if you replace Megami, uh, if you put Megami into that Tsukasa spot, then you would could, like, you know, you could have this moment where he's like taking these tools out and you're like, what the fuck is he doing? Like taking these different tools out. And then he says, like, what if I use the two of these to defeat you? And it's like, what the hell is he talking about? And then we get the big explanation in the next chapter. At least it would have that going for it. But because we already are intimately familiar with how Asahi's uh, ability works, because it's, you know, very straightforward and easy to understand. Um, it's like, OK, so he's going to do that to kick Megami's ass. All right. Like, it's just a shame that. If when you look at this series, there's just never going to be that big, cool, 
Mega Me won a battle moment. Well, they're only in their second year, Chris. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna keep going on in this series until the end. Well, not if they, not if they keep this up. That's All right. right. All right. Let's let's jump over to Eden Zero, Chapter Thirty Four: Survive the Night. I'm not sure what the fuck uh, Hamora is uh, looking at and hanging out with. It's some kind of terrifying bear thing. Uh, I assume some kind of fortune bear. I don't know. So last time, uh, Shiki was a super big asshole who was very mean to yeah. Hermit and kept trying to force. He him wasn't to really mean to her. He was just, you know, harassing her. Yeah, well, he was very inconsiderate. He was being a dick bag. And uh, Hermit was like, no, I'm not going with you. I despise humans. And that's where we kind of pick things up as Shiki's like, I can't understand it. Why would someone not like me? Uh, <laughs> Aren't I just super lovable? <laughs> I'm so robots can't hate people. And uh, then he thinks back to uh, when all the robots on Grand Blue uh, started saying that humans were the enemy to basically chase him out. So uh, he's like, oh, I guess there's that. And he starts crying and everyone's like, stop crying about shit. We're, we're not privy to. We don't know what you're thinking about and why you're crying. Well, only Weiss says that because Weiss is a dick. Well, what do you mean, Nick? Because it's a very poignant moment where Weiss stands up and he's like, Now see, everybody, i got something I want to say. They're making a big deal of it. Like, I have something important to say about our situation. I have great deep insight about this. I didn't realize boobs were so heavy. And Nick, not since The Hot Chick with Rob Schneider has a movie about a man being in the shoes of a woman been so poignant to the culture of today than Wise saying that boobs were very heavy and uh, Rebecca says, nobody cares. <laughs> Scene over. <laughs> oh, I mean, man. In, in his defense, that two top is not providing very good support. So No, it's not. You can see no. that he's just grabbing it and uh, the breasts are launching upwards going boing boing. Uh, so there's that. And suddenly all the bells in town start ringing and uh, they, everyone goes inside and there's a horde of uh, generic monsters charging the town. And uh, there's... How do they chew? I don't know. Their horns are basically large enough that it'd be very difficult for them to like get in towards anything. But <laughs> I don't know. There's uh, a bird guy on top of one of the, the beasts and he explains, ah, I work for Jammy, and we have been given permission to kill all of you. Kill the NPCs. I'm bored of them. And I like that there's a moment where some of the NPCs are like, hey, this isn't an event in the game. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I wish it worked. But they were like, ah, shit, we're not in the game. All right, that's all. Oh, sorry. Sorry. We're just going to do Yeah. Uh, so they explained that they're like, well, we're going to turn Krista city of crystals into city of monsters <laughs> called monster <laughs> called monster um so yeah they're gonna do it they're gonna kill all the creatures but cheeky's like nope can't let them do that no uh, they're all my friends yeah all these people are my friends so he beats up all the monsters despite the fact that they met a monster that was their friend like a chapter or two ago you think that might be like interesting to bring up now it's not uh so Shiki punches a bunch of them and then he's like gotta go and uh he leaves so uh, Rebecca's like, oh, I guess I'll have to like step up and fight because Weiss can't even do his his ether gear here because there's no, there's I no guess, check actual, to modify. Yeah. yeah, even though 
it's digitalist the city of digital data so i don't know i guess his actually requires physical tech to uh, manipulate uh and they're like yeah well it's gonna be okay because we have hamora and then they're like ah shit hamora's not here <laughs> we, we cut over to hamora who is talking to jesse the bullheaded guy from earlier and uh, she explains ah you know i'm gonna finish this job quick we gotta we gotta find jimmy all right uh it's he's in the western forest and uh Jesse's like, so you're just going to abandon Shiki and his pals? And Amora's like, they're not bad people, but they've served their purpose. And it's like, okay. And then a bunch of bats are about to attack Hermit. And Hermit's like, all right, cool. Well, I guess I'll die then. <laughs> I'm pretty okay with this, as long as humans didn't do it. And then Shiki shows up and saves her. And uh, that's that's it. That's the chapter. I guess God. humans aren't so bad after all. And she's like, put me back there. I wanted to die. Yeah, she's like, oh, I <laughs> did you death. <laughs> did you ever think about asking me if I wanted to be saved? No. I mean, stupid human. There's a part of me that worries that we're not going. I'm sure we'll dig into a level of the issue, but that like Shiki at no point has to be introspective about his decisions. He just has to be like, I saved you. Thus, we're friends. <laughs> Uh, no, I still don't like you. <laughs> yeah, like there's still clearly more going on to it than that. But whatever, you don't need to. But like, friends, you don't need to regard your decisions or you know make efforts for self improvement or anything like that. You just you, you save me. We're friends. You get what you want. <laughs> Yay, friends! This is how friendship works. Yeah. I forced you to be my friend. So let's get into our newer series. So. First, we got Hellwar and Higuma. This chapter is chapter 11, Higuma and Ayaha, which is basically a conversation following up on Ayaha. Asking Higuma if uh, he, he hated doing his Hellworn work. And we get a actually kind of fi almost philosophical conversation because um, Ayaha confronts uh, Higuma over a bunch of stuff saying like, hey, you know, I've got this Munratia sigil thing. You know, your buddy Lord Enma put this mark on me. And uh, he was like, yeah, I'm sorry that that happened. I was like, no, no, no. I don't I'm, I don't mind that it happened. I'm actually kind of happy about it because, you know, like Kabata pointed out, this will let me be more helpful to you so I can actually, you know, pay, pay you back. But it doesn't really seem to matter to you that I'm doing that. When I got the sigil, you pretended not to notice. You haven't exactly acted like you're excited about it. And I've been trying to figure out why. But now I'm pretty sure I know. It's because you don't like involving people in your work. And when I saw you after you defeated the kids today, I thought maybe you don't like your work at all, which makes sense. Why, you know, then you wouldn't want me involved in your work. And she's like, so I want to, you know, help you out to pay you back for helping me. But I don't know what your work means to you. Therefore, I don't know what I should do in order to help you. And Higuma just says, like, you've got a really strong sense of duty. So he... Says like, okay, you know, Enma is not my buddy. He's my boss. And you're right. I don't like my job because I don't like having to punish fugitive spirits. And I have to pretend like I'm deaf to their cries for mercy. This job is a burden. I know that the things I do have to be done. And no matter how evil my enemy might be, I don't believe I have the right to condemn them. No matter how just the cause might be. Which kind of shocks Ayaha because she's like she points out rightfully that he has actually helped a lot of people in doing this and you know they she helped out her, 
uh, he helped out her brother and the girl that you just saved, the little girl whose grandmother was being targeted. And anyway, all those fugitive spirits like, yeah, they they've been hurting people. They belong in hell. So why don't you understand that? And Higuma says, you have a strong sense of justice, but I don't. I'm not the person you think I am. I'm always thinking how much easier it would be if I could just smile and let the fugitives go. But I can't do that. I won't be saving anyone if my resolve is weak. I know this. So I've trained to switch off my feelings and become a proper hell warden. So, you know, we get this this difference between them. You know, Yuma is like, I hate having to hurt people, even if it is for a good reason. So I just turn myself off in order to do what has to be done. And I have just being like, well, but don't they deserve to be punished? So I like the difference in personalities between them. And it's very much a like, you know, the duty of like a judge, jury and executioner having to actually look at things more objectively than just see how they personally feel about the stuff. Mm-hmm. And he tries to walk off all cool, basically, after, you know, being very, you know, upset. And he's like, you don't have to, you know, you know, you don't you can quit being a boon if you want. That'd be fine. And she he starts to walk off, but Ayaha thinks over some stuff again, thinks over uh, how, you know, it just makes sense. Like, you know, if you do something bad, then, you know, something bad has to happen to you. And then she realizes, like, hey, if this ever happens to you way back at the beginning of the chapter, if something bad ever happens to you again, you can come see me and I'll do something about it. And so she's like, hey, wait a minute. She goes, runs after him and knocks him in the same stab wound that she punched earlier wax it with her bag and it's like hey you don't get to you know talk to me like that you know you don't get to decide what you mean to other people and look you helped me out and when i was in my in the worst possible situation you saved me so i don't get why you feel this way about yourself but look when you're in doubt you still fight no matter what burdens you carry and yeah i think that's cool so come on I'm going to keep on being a Bunratia. That's my decision. It's so deal with it, basically. And they walk off t- together. Ayaha's feeling a lot better about the, the situation. And Higuma being kind of like, I don't know, pouty. It's a little bit weird. And uh, then we get basically this. Uh, it's the shot of the smoking demon that we saw the Kitsune talking earlier, but we actually see him in full now. Uh, and he's thinking to himself about this, about their situation, including the, uh, old man that, uh, they were referring to earlier. Uh, he is walked up to by a demon who his face has half melted, who says that he tried to stop him, but that man is coming. And we get this narration that says that, uh, the longer the demons spend in hell, the, uh, more they're punished and the more their punishment reflects on who they are. And we see this figure whose tears are causing things to be set on fire and melt. Um, Person in a cage. He's super strong. And he's coming for Higuma because he's uh, watching uh, Higuma and Ayaha walk by. So, here we go. I don't really know how much longer Higuma is going to kick around. Uh, I don't know. I just get a feeling that it's probably going to get canceled pretty early. But if it is, I'm glad that we got, you know, this... It's a kind of insight into uh, what makes these characters different from each other. It's an interesting conversation. I think it's a good move, too, to give these kinds of chapters where, <clears throat> like, when you're a battle series, the, like, 
driving factor tends to be like, all right, we'll get another fight in, get another fight, get 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 to somebody, some dude with new powers or something like that. Where I do, I do appreciate the idea of having a chapter where like the two main characters kind of just stop and talk for a little bit. Yeah. Why do you do this thing that you do? So, oh, yeah. I don't. I don't really like doing it. Why not? It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's dope. I like it. Yeah, but I hurt people. So yeah, but they deserve to be hurt. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, let's uh, let's talk about Neolation then, Nick. Process yeah. twelve. Neo and Brother Ta versus Boogie. So last I week, I still can't believe this guy's name is Boogie. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, I was I had a goal to design a video game. Really? Yeah, and uh, I, I had a whole big idea that there was going to be. Uh, one level was going to be a beach level. It was going to be like an RPG, and the boss was going to be a, a 70s disco-themed uh, water guy, and his name was going to be Boogie. And I was like, that's so clever, because, like, Boogie Nights plus Boogie Board? It's a oh very... I was, God. like, 13, but I was very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I made a pun. I was like, holy shit, it's so clever and quirky and cool. I'm going to be known as, like, the most iconic game maker ever. <laughs> Anyways, so last time, Boogie did the unspeakably horrible thing of using a self-driving car to win illegal street races. And uh, that's where we're at. And we're, Is we're that at- the real crime here? <laughs> yeah. And we're at this very tense moment where Boogie has lead and he's, he's mastered this course. Uh, so the situation... Can you imagine, is- like, trying to have someone be punished for cheating at an illegal street race? <laughs> <laughs> Officer, he cheated. He cheated. What were you doing? That's not important. <laughs> he cheated. It's irrelevant. I want him to be arrested forever and killed. Uh, so uh, the situation still is that if... Brother Ta can just get the lead over Boogie, then Neo can use his program to basically recreate the self-driving algorithm, and then he would be in the lead because there's no way he's he's using the same, you know, program that Brother that uh, Boogie's using, so it would right. be no way to surpass it. So Brother Ta has to find a way to race past him, and we see that they're coming up on this very big sort of S curve, and it's it's a very dramatic spot. Uh, Neo shows this to Brother Ta, and Brother Ta says, huh, is he going to drive in that exact lane? Because he, he sees where the, the track's going to go. He's like, yep. So he's like, all right, well, if he follows that course strictly, then we have one chance to pass him. And uh, Neo has a moment where he's like, huh, when I get to see you like this, you know, you're you're kind of like a weird stalker and you're corny, but in these moments when you need to be cool, you kind of pull it off. And it's you know, a little sweet moment there uh, as he's like, all right, let's do this. So they come around this corner. And what does Brother Ta do, Nick? <laughs> he slows down. <laughs> I'm like, that's a bad way to win a race. <laughs> uh, but he's race there. expert Christopher Larios weighs in. Mario Kart expert. You need to, win a, you, you need to go fast to win a race. <laughs> uh, he's breaking. That's a fatal error in his, his game plan. <laughs> I've been around the block quite a few times. I've been across Boo's Boardwalk a couple times, and the only way to win that course is to not fall off the edges and to never stop, ever. I mean, watch that's, the bats. that's not inaccurate. <laughs> See? Race Master Christopher with his top-tier advice once more. Did I ever tell you about the time we'll get inside a video game with a bit called Boogie? It was going to be Boogie Board and Boogie Nights combined together. It was incredible. 
Uh, so Brother Toss stops, but that's actually very significant because you know Boogie's like idiot. My programming's too strong. You have to go fast to win. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you can't stop to win, stupid. That's not how you win a race. Uh, but Brother Todd's like, so here's the thing. I kind of thought about the fact that they said that Boogie arrived here in spring, and he's only been here a little bit. He doesn't know what this mountain is like in autumn. And in that, we get a full-page spread as Boogie's car slams against the railing and kind of grinds against it, and we see that there are leaves gathered up on the side of the road that Brother Todd never, or Boogie never considered. It was never in his algorithm before, but it's sort of an adverse condition that strikes this road because of the weather. And it's this flaw in the system, and Brother Todd uses that to get right past him, and then immediately uh neo activates the automatic driving which i'm still not entirely sure how this works because i assume that there's like software that needs to exist in the car ahead of time for this to happen yeah you would think that if you're going to have a self-driving car that you've got to have like you know a hard drive in the car that is capable of doing this like there has to be components in the car that are fit to use it but right there's (laughs) he He hacked it it works (laughs) he types a bunch on the computer and numbers appear around the car so it can do anything now (laughs) it can go to space if he wants uh and boogie's like shit he's using the same fucking program and he accepts defeat he's like he copied my driving i'm never gonna be able to surpass him and then boom brother ta and neo Past the finish line, they're the goal. They win. It's a it's a big happy moment for everybody. Yeah, uh, I do like that. Um, we see you know the difference between Ta and Neo and uh, Boogie here at the end, where he's just like, "There's no way that I could possibly catch him." He just kind of gives up yeah. uh, after everything happens when you know Neo and Ta were going through every possible possibility and. Or, you know, they found a way to defeat him. But because Boogie just relied entirely on his programming, uh, he failed. He lost. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be a recurring thing going on in this series is that, yes, Neo is the main character and his super hacky abilities allow him to do all sorts of stuff. But his work with his allies is what actually you know gives him the edge. The, this, these people who don't rely on technology and have skills that he doesn't. Teamwork. Mm. Nakama, all that stuff. It, 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 yeah, it is very significant because the series I would point to the most with this would be like Majitachi Nagami Neuro, and there was a level of that, but it was almost always like, oh, Neuro's a super mastermind. And, Gonna eat your crime now. Yeah, and then it was like, oh, Yuko just has fucking compassion for others. But yeah, as you said, it's nice that like in all these big victories, the characters around him have been very significant for this, and I, I enjoy that a lot. All right, let's move on to The Last Sayuki, Chapter 2. For someone else's sake, last time we got the whole explanation of why Fao Koharu's abilities work and uh, how <laughs> Ryu's dad is just really selfish, basically. He's and just, just like an enormous asshole. Which he calls his dad out on in, in, in this chapter repeatedly. Like, he he repeatedly punches his dad for for being... Having very, you know, unfair and unrealistic expectations of how this was supposed to go. And uh, basically, um, we just this chapter is a lot about of uh, Ryu just growing up um, really quickly. Uh, He gets more of an explanation of how Kahara's abilities work. 
why it's so important that uh, they bond and that uh, she love him. And uh, as like Gar runs away using her floaty abilities to get away uh, and we get basically a more in-depth explanation of how her ability brings stuff to life. And uh, that explains that whenever people uh, look, people fear things that cannot be seen. Fears that do not have physical bodies cluster together to become monster eggs. Luckily for us, humans place a lot of importance on what they can actually see. Things that can't be seen don't exist. We believe they're impossible. And because of that, humans don't realize the monster eggs exist. So the belief that something's impossible, ignorance, has let humans seal this truth, the existence of monster eggs, in a box. We call this box Mole. But Kohara's ability contradicts the impossible. She can open up these Mole boxes. It's not as definite as if she uses words, but, you know, seeing her floating in the air, which is considered impossible, may cause someone's mo to open. So experiencing the impossible also uh, caused this to happen. So he's like, if people see her floating around, then it's going to, going to be a problem. And he points out, you already know about the truth about Koharu, so it doesn't matter now if uh, she reveals her abilities to you because, you know, the, 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 the box has already been opened so to speak. But she's not going to float somewhere where, uh, you know, a bunch of people can see her. She won't hide her ability from us, but she'll hide from everyone else. So that's the first thing that they have to go on. Ryu ha has this whole thing where she thinks that, where he thinks what Kahara must be thinking right now, which is she probably wants to, uh, you know, she probably thinks that I didn't want her around, but you know what? She's not actually scary. Uh, she just thinks that I think that she is and she's hiding somewhere so that I can have peace of mind. But right now, I bet she's somewhere she thinks I won't go near. And the scariest place for me would be inside the storeroom where he thought that that monster was. Uh, but he sees that, like, the door is still barricaded and is like, oh, well, I guess she's not inside of there because now could she barricade from inside? And his father's like. Well, no, Kahar can float, so maybe she can pass through walls, too. She can probably do a lot of things. I'm not gonna... I should probably be up front with you. I yeah. I think she has a lot of superpowers. Uh, I mean, you know, you know, she can do all sorts of stuff. You know, pat her head and rub her tummy at the same time. <laughs> Recite the alphabet backwards. She can watch cooking shows without getting hungry. <laughs> She's a fucking monster. <laughs> How terrifying is that? So Ryu says, like, hey... Give me your staff, because that staff, you can use it to beat those monsters. I saw you do it. It's like, yeah, I guess. I mean, you could probably wield it. But uh, I mean, like, I don't know about this. I mean, you don't have to do this right away. There's no reason for you to take this risk right now. You, you just I, what I wanted you to do was to just have Kahar like you over time so that the world would be safe. There's no reason to put yourself in danger like this. He just elbows him in the fucking ribs and is just like, look, fuck you. Look, I'm doing this for me. <laughs> fuck you, buddy. His father asks him if he is afraid. He's like, of course I'm afraid. But even though I, I was the one who hurt her, Kohara was the one who apologized. And that really hurt me. When I think about her sacrificing herself so that others don't get hurt, it hurts me right here. When Kohara's in pain, I'm in pain. Her arm is my arm. I'm sorry. I know you don't like him in So, But he says, in order to stop this pain, I've got to be the one to protect her. It's not so that Koharu will like me. It's not for saving the world. I've decided on my own that I would protect Koharu. So he's like, no, all right, here you go. Gives him the staff. He enters into the shack. And sure enough, 
uh, Kahara was there sitting alone by herself in the dark. And he's like, hey, uh, I guess you can go through your walls after all. And Kuharu says, well, why? And she's like, well, that's what I want to know. Why did you come in here? We made a promise. You, I, I made a promise that, uh, you know, I would protect you. And that you made a promise you wouldn't hold back. You wouldn't apologize when it's not your fault. And I promised I would never leave you alone. So, come on, you've, you've done nothing wrong. The only one here who's done something wrong is my dad. <laughs> my dad is sitting right here. outside listening. <laughs> And uh, he says, I don't think these monsters are scary. As your mo- big brother, I can easily defeat monsters. It's like, I'm totally bullshitting right here. But it's important that I show her this. That I show her that unreal things can really happen. I have to show Kaharu. And that's right, right here, right now. I've got to hit a home run. And as soon as the door closes, you know, he's enshrouded in darkness. Which I guess makes him think of the monster. The monster appears again. And uh, he blocks... A strike from the monster's claw with the staff, which works. And then he says, promise me, Koharu, if I can defeat this monster, you and me, we're going to talk about a lot of things from now on. So this chapter is much more about, like, getting to know, like, this is how our protagonist is actually going to be mm-hmm. uh, for the rest of the series, as opposed to being a selfish kind of shitty brat, uh, like we saw in the first chapter. It's an important thing to establish. Uh, but I do hope that the series doesn't lose that ability to just really create a sense of foreboding and dread like we saw in the first chapter, uh, because that's one of the things that made it really stand out and it did that very well. Uh, so I hope it can, you know, strike a balance between like this, you know, sense of heroism and the sense of terror. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's 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 something where. I'm curious to see what it is in the future, like what the monsters look like, what he does, like how much of this is going to try to be like a battle manga and how much of this is going to kind of lean into the fact that this feels like a very different sort of series. Right. We also have the thing and maybe this is something that I'm not a huge fan of, but we also have to like recognize that the way the series opened created the idea that that's where we are at some point that at some point the world's on fire and uh she's wearing a mask on fucking youtube being like fucking all of you die so sick of this shit it's one of those things where like you always have that in the back of your mind like we have to get to there so i don't know i i I like this series though i like this chapter as sort of especially like as a follow-up to the last one but i definitely want to see how this series is going to be in a rhythm kind of thing yes okay yui camillo let's loose it's a new series by the creator of nurarion omago okay i'm going to try and get through this really quickly uh because it's the first chapter which means it's a long chapter and we started late and we've got a lot of series to discuss basically premise of the series is that there's this girl named Yui. As a kid, she was this demonic troublemaker, literally demonic, because her evil was literally sealed by fucking Buddhist monks with a chain. The chain wraps around her hair. When her hair is tied up, her hair becomes white, and she becomes a pure angel. You know, her, ultra, her, ultra... her clothes become white, too. Yeah. This is some magic fucking chain. You know, ultra like uh, 
con- considerate, uh, kind to everyone, class president, ideal person. And then when her hair becomes loose, her true nature comes out and she becomes her hair turns black. Her uniform becomes black and she becomes a hideous troublemaker, ultra violent, beats people up. Uh, this series is about her encountering this spoiled brat named Kito who has that like shoujo love interest thing going on. Whenever he looks at people, flowers appear behind him. Uh, and he's like bored with life because like, Oh, everything's gone so easy for him. Uh, he pisses off dark Yui who just fucking punches him in the face uh, and beats up him and all of his other spoiled brat friends. And uh, then Yui's friend uh, manages to uh, restrain her and tie her hair back up with the with the chain. And it's 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 weird how like there's this series is for the most part just like romantic comedy kind of school life setup. And yet, yeah, there's this whole thing where it's like, no, there's literally just an evil force inside of her, which is sealed by fucking a magic chain. Evil okay. force is such a strong way of putting it, though, because like it's supposed to play into this theme of like her duality. It's an angel yes. and a devil. The only time the devil, quote unquote, comes out and does horrible things is when there's a bunch of shitty people around her doing shitty things. So it's really yeah. hard to like judge the side of her that's that is like, yeah. look at this devil monster. She beats up bullies and thieves and, and people trying to hurt her. Yeah. What a monster. Yeah. Kito uh, wants to get revenge on Dark Yui, uh, but when he first comes across Yui, she's in her, you know, white angelic state, and she's really nice to him, and she figures out that he's actually a softy underneath. He wants to uh, become a veterinarian because he's grown a real liking for animals ever since he incompetently killed a hundred goldfish uh, that he had as pets. Um. So they bond over that, and he's like, she's a perfect angel. These bullies show up, and Kito assumes that they're after him because, like, he's, like, you know, stolen their girlfriends or something like that. But no, their business is actually with Yui and her friend, and they restrain Yui, and uh, they're going to beat her up. And uh, the main, the lead bully is like, uh, oh, this, yeah, ever since we were kids, that girl beat me up, and he's after her. And uh, Yui's hair, you know, comes loose after the guy strikes at her with a knife. Dark Yui comes out. Turns out the guy's kind of got like a masochist streak going on. He like wants her to beat him up. It seems it seems like to to be that Uh, she beats up all the bullies and uh, saves her friend who's there. She's covered in blood. And then she looks over at Kito and he's like, oh, this is the angel's true nature. And she's like, hey, let's partner up. You use your money to cover up the fact that I beat up all these people so that I don't get in trouble. And then her, her friend ties her hair up again, she turns back into her angelic form. And Kito is like, oh, my God, what is this? Oh, when I had to meet a girl who would be interesting, this isn't what I really meant. I've never met a girl like this. And that is how I met a girl who, who changes personality when her hair is tied, named Yui Camillo, and found my awesome life in the upper, upper crust, dumped into a sea of chaos. Okay. So, there's, like, two things that kind of, like... One, I, I do kind of find Camillo... Uh, or not Camillo, uh, Kito, 
kind of funny because he's so obnoxiously a rich douchebag. Like, every scene of him needs to be him like, What are you doing? This is so uncouth. I'll pay for this. You can't hurt me. My father, My father will hear about this. <laughs> every, if we ever voice act this chapter, that's 100% going to be his voice. Because, like, every scene's like, What are you doing? We're, we're civilized men here. My father will hear about this if you lay a finger on me. Uh, but too, there, there's a lot that sort of is weighed upon this this premise of the duality of the two character of like the lead character and the two sides where they come out, and it's it's so amusing to me that like the gimmick to switch them is a fucking hair tie being put on. Like I don't know. Like I understand Buddhist monks were involved, and it's like not a hair tie; it's a chain. But that it's like, I'm the unravageable kill monster. You'll never... Uh, stop! Don't put my hair up in the butt. Ah! My power! Uh, and, like, that's, like, the cool theme we go with going forward. Like, all right. You mentioned, like, you know, that, uh, like, sexy librarian stereotype. You know, the girl's got her, you know, hair tied up all the time. But then when you let it down, she's totally beautiful. But instead, you know, he was like, wait, you look so much more beautiful with your hair down. Oh, oh, you're trying to throw me out. Just, she just beats you up. <laughs> I do not give a shit about this series. Like, it's it's something that just happens in Shonen Jump. Occasionally, you get the exact same series coming out uh, every couple of years. The romantic comedy series where the male lead discovers that the main female love interest that the series is built around has a dual personality. Uh, it happened in Hungry Marie. It happened in uh, I Shoujo. It happened in Himedol. Every couple of years, one of these series comes out. They very, very, very rarely strike a chord with me. Uh, and this one did nothing to uh, get my interest up. Uh, maybe it will get better. I could see potentially, you know, this premise leading to interesting things. But because of the way the focus is in this first chapter, I know it's I basically know where it's going. Uh, unless it takes a very sharp right turn, uh, it, I do not see myself following this series beyond three chapters. So, no, nah, I, I think this is a, a series that has a very limited self life to it. All right, Pro- prove me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's move on to We Never Learned. Question 102 The Ice Flower Dances with X at Twilight Part 3. Uh, so, we open with Kirisu's ass as she's in the shower. And uh, we see that she's very, she's very distraught over everything that's happened. Uh, she hasn't been to school in two days. She's skipped. She's not sick. She's just doing it. It's- she's basically doing that thing in, you know, the low point of, uh, you know, action movies where it's like, uh, you know, bow my head in the shower while leaning against the wall. But it's also but like you can't have just like an introspection scene because that'd be boring. So they've got to have a naked introspection. It's got to be butt first towards the camera. Yes. Uh, but anyway, she's like, oh, God, someone's knocking at the door. It must be fucking Miharu. So she goes to answer it in just a towel. And of course, it's Uega. And Uega's like, sorry about this. And she's like, oh, yeah, well, it's actually probably my bad for it is her fault. <laughs> uh, so. She's like, what brings you here? And Uega's like, take off your clothes right now. Sorry. What I meant to say is I need you to wear a particular costume. I'm like, you know, there's a lot of conceits I've been willing to put up with as like 
the circumstances for his understanding so we get the sexual kind of attitude but there's like an innocent reason behind it but this is so far and away the most wild and stretching of all of them where it's like no one would talk this way if they were like i need you to wear a costume huh how do i express this quickly take off your clothes dot 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 and then put these on over here like over in this room yeah, I think it might be something where like the wording in Japanese might have been a little bit more like Could changing. Yeah, like you know, something like "you need to change clothes" does not immediately uh, mean like put on a different set of clothes. Maybe that that was the problem that they ran into. It, it's very possible, but the the way it's phrased is definitely one of the biggest leaps we've had to make to just get yes. this joke out. Uh, but it turns out I do like the way that Kirisu reacts in that first panel with her giant I'm going to kill you eyes yeah Uh, so we then cut over to the ice rink and yep that's what she's doing she's she put on her ice outfit uh, and they're gonna go skating and uh, well that's Yuiga's plan because Kirisu's like what's with this costume it's like and you're like worn this costume countless times before Kirisu. you why am i in an ice rink in an ice skating outfit what are we wearing here? skates what are we here for <laughs> like you have to understand what's happening why have we gotten onto the ice and we've started skating before it's like uh we're here to ice skate Yuiga, why are we out in the woods while i'm wearing all this camouflage and this orange jacket while carrying this shotgun <laughs> And there's animals going on around me. Uh, so, yeah, she's like, what are we doing here? And he's like, well, I thought that maybe since we're here, you could give me a private lesson. And he's like, you know, I know how hard it is to decide about teaching and figure skating and all that's like paralyzing you. Then maybe doing this will help you move your body and then you can think about it. So he's just trying to help. I do like that the shot of when he first gets onto the ice. I don't know how he managed to fall this way. Yeah, he, he takes one step and bends at the knee, falls over backwards off the ice. Like his foot didn't slip out from under him. He just. Pikarisu <laughs> uh, has this moment, and this is the thing that's going to be kind of big about this chapter. This, there's a lot of very small moments that I think really hammer home this chapter, and I'll get to the other part later. Uh, but Karasu goes to step on the ice and she's thinking about it. She's like, ah, oh, everything's so familiar. The smell, you know, antifreeze, everything. And she goes to take a step on the ice and she thinks back to her parents and immediately she withdraws. She like kind of, you know, bends down her knees and she's like, I, I can't do it. Uh, so Yurega's like, oh, I get it. Uh, well, you can't figure skate without music. So is piano music fine? She's like, no, that's not it. I'm not like, it's not that I need music. I have no right to, you know, set foot on this rink. Everything I did, I threw it away. I disappointed everybody as an athlete, as a teacher. Everything I did, I failed at. And Yuega's like, that doesn't seem to be the case. And she starts listening to the music more and more. And she's like, wait, don't tell me. And Yuega holds up the phone. And it's uh, it's uh, it's got like a, a FaceTime, essentially, with Hino, the student who we saw last chapter. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, I didn't get into music school. But I play in an indie band, and I love my life. So I I have to say it's all thanks to you because you encouraged me, and I got to where I am. So, no, you didn't do anything half-baked, and 
I'm only here because of you. So I'm, I'm very proud of you. And, uh, she even then has this moment where she's like, oh, and yeah, it's, it's all thanks to this Uega guy for finding me. You are very loved since. And he's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, so Kirsty rushes onto the ice and she kind of grabs onto Uega and, uh, she's like, Hold on! <laughs> <laughs> she's like, boom, X-Factor, bitch! <laughs> Curb stop! And you're like, Don't you ever step on the ice with me, dude! <laughs> I'll fucking tear you apart. You step into my territory. You come into the pool. You're going to get the horns. <laughs> uh, but no, instead she uh, blushes and she's like, didn't you say you wanted a private lesson? Uh, and we get this like this full page of her kind of dancing gracefully. And there's a lot of very majestic, you know, kind of use of lighting to really paint a very beautiful picture. And, uh, you know, she asks, like, what did you really want me to? to do here like what what are you really kind of going for and he's like well i don't really want you to stop teaching but i don't really care which one you choose i just want you to be happy and uh we then cut back into so there's a little joke at the end about they're dating again from the, the, the other girl time well uh, hino is apparently playing a wedding march on the piano now <laughs> yeah. uh so we cut back to school and everyone's like oh yeah it's good you know the Turns out, just like all internet memes, you're not as popular anymore. So now you can go around the world without being harassed every five feet. <laughs> uh, so she's uh, she's very happy and everything like that. And she's like, hey, you know, I just want you to know that kind of uh, I've, I've decided what I want to do. And she goes up onto the roof. She calls her sister and is like, hey, thanks for all the arrangements you make. But sorry, I'm not going to do it. Um, Mihara's like, that's OK. You sound happier. And that's what I want more than anything. And uh you know, Kirisu hangs up the phone, and then she stares at it for a moment, and then she picks up the phone again. And we don't see the other conversation, and this is usually the panel of the chapter that's reserved for a joke. But instead, it's a shot of the sky as we just hear Kirisu's conversation of her calling her mom and saying, Hey, uh, I know it's been a while since we've talked. I want to come home soon. And saying, Oh, come on, there's no need to cry. And it's a very sweet moment to end the chapter yeah. on that Kirisu's going to reconnect with her family after all yeah. this. Yeah. And I, I want to just talk really quickly on this because there's there's a duality to this chapter where on one hand we get a lot of very sweet, tender moments that are extremely effectively well done. The moment of revealing that Hino is on the other line and that she's found happiness not being the greatest success in the world, but find happiness in the you know the hobby and the passion that she's found. Uh, Kirisu being told. You know, by Uega, he's like, I'm not, I don't really care which one you pick. I want you to be happy. There's no selfishness in him or anything like that. Uh, and then Karasu ended a chapter talking to her, her mother and reconnecting with their parents. Great thing. But there's also, another... there's a little tiny hint that Kirisu actually knows that Kir that, that teacher from Kirisu's past is Uega's father and she's aware of it. Mm -hmm. The other side, though, is there is a tremendous amount of fan service in this. Oh, show. yeah. And I, when I, she is in that when she's in that ice skating outfit, there's a lot of shots of her butt. I want to I want to specifically note this because th there may be some people who don't understand this. And this chapter is a really good example of how to understand it. So on page 17, if you're reading this chapter, there's the scene where she asks, like, why did you really bring me here today? And if you've ever heard someone say, like, the framing or the way this is kind of exposed is different from the meaning. This is a really good, like, way to see what people mean. Because this is supposed to be a very significant moment of Karasu kind of talking to Uega about this. After having this ex extremely, like, splendid 
and beautiful shot of her skating and feeling this freedom and this, you know, kind of big swell of emotions from finding out that she didn't fail her students. She put all of this in. And the one of the shots is from the camera being positioned basically right behind Kirisu's ass. And there's no the word reason. bubbles are coming out of her butt, basically. Yeah. There's no reason to do that at all, unless it's like, well, I don't know. She's in an ice skating outfit. Those are kind of hot. So if you ever want to kind of understand, like, understand that you drew this scene, you could place the <laughs> shot wherever. Right. There's a reason he placed it behind the ass. And it's that's not like there was a there. It's not that there was a shortage of footage or anything that you had yeah. to work around. Like you could draw it however you wanted. So these things do detract from chapters mm-hmm. like this because it takes away from the intimacy of it when you're suddenly like, oh, right. Sometimes these chapters are drawn in a way so that people can jerk off to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that takes away from a very beautiful moment like this. There's a lot of really good shots in the sequence of them skating together. And this is definitely something that's hammering home the idea that Kirisu could definitely be a, a potential, you know, person that Yuiga ends up with in the end. Um, you know, him as he realizes how what Miharu basically was talking about, how beautiful Kirisu is on the ice. And there's some, you know, I do like how much it hammers home, how incredibly effortlessly graceful uh, she is. And you can definitely see the point as Yuiga's narrating, like how absurdly beautiful she actually is when she, when she's in this situation. The shots of her, like um, when she first grabs Yuiga, the fact that we get a shot of his head, like right against her breast. That is not as bad to me as the example that you point out, because it's kind of in that moment where he's like so shocked by the fact that she's done it and he's realizing how intimate and close they are in the, uh, right now. But then they have this big conversation about like, what should I do with my future? And then, yeah, the shots behind her butt. And that definitely does suck you out of the situation that the rest of it does build up very well. It's something that's like overall, I think this is a really good chapter, but it could have been better without those distractions. Uh, and there are other shots of like her butt speaking during this. And it's just like, well, yeah, I'm just going to draw her legs all the way up to her ass crack all, a whole bunch. And it's, it's unfortunate. It's it's a shame because I'm not even saying you shouldn't have fan service. I get that this no. is a romantic comedy series, but there are times when it works and then times when using it actively detracts from the fact that you're not solely a series where every chapter's express goal is like, let's see how erotic I can make it. Like, right. you know, uh, I, I always forget the mangaka's name. Uh, Tsutsui. That doesn't sound right, but whatever. Uh, Tsutsui's a really good writer. Like these, this chapter shows how effective the writing is. It's, it would be nice if we didn't detract from it in the moment with those shots. I don't even care that we started the chapter with her naked no. in the shower, butt to the camera. I get it. You got to do what you got to do. But in those moments, I would love to not have to like go into those scenes. Yeah. Have the sexy moment, have the moment of embarrassment afterwards. And then it's like, okay, just do your thing. Like, yeah. don't, don't, it's it's one of those things where it's like, why bother, you know, having the serious moment if you're going to do that? It's like, just just draw the sexy shots. OK, Dr. Stone. What time is it, Chris? It's time to get Stone. Do 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 do. 
Kevin Owens is a now. Do, 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 do. It's actually a pretty good one. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I forgot someone sh- uh, brought up like a gift the other day of Scott Hall taking the stutter. Yeah, and shooting off the space. space. And yeah. I was like, God, I forgot how fucking great he sold stutters in like the four <laughs> times he took them. He got fucking murdered every time he took one. <laughs> All right, last time the guys made radar sonar. Woo! That's basically it. Um, things are going well for the Kingdom of Science. They can get fish now. We see Francois preparing all sorts of food for, for everyone. Uh, and they're like, ah, oh, yeah. And Ryusui comments, uh, with whether it's the dark sea or cloudy skies, this tech lets us see through anything. And at the same moment, both Ginro and Chrome have a little boom moment with a see-through anything. And Ginro's like, Radar can see through things? What about clothing? You know, I must say, I've always had an appreciation for science. <laughs> I just love the wording of that. And everyone's going to be like, ah, oh, you fucking asshole. And then Ginro's like, well, Chrome was taking the same thing! And I was like, no, he wasn't. <laughs> he's he's, he's a dork. Thing. Everyone's like, he's like, it could see through anything. They're like, no, he's a fucking nerd, and he's probably thinking about how it can see through rocks or something. And it's like, yeah, that's what he's doing. <laughs> I do like that. That's like a consistent thing with Chrome. I, you know, it's it's the same as when he had the phone call with Rory, and they're like, "Hey, it's the first phone call ever in this new age. What do you you you've got a chance to say anything you want to her? You pour your true feelings out. My true feelings. Science is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so you dork." Chrome does some experimenting as people realize that they are going to need a lot more iron than the riverbed can provide for them at this point. They're really having a difficult fi- time finding anything. And uh, so Chrome sets out on his own, makes some modifications to the equipment that they've got, and heads up into the mountains. And basically, as uh, Senku just flat out voices later on, he ends up making uh, a metal detector without really meaning to but he used that to find some iron and we get this quick little montage of people racing up the side of the cliff in order to get the iron ore deposit that he has found hooray so they've got plenty of iron and uh chrome has a moment where he's like i, I can't believe this and he's you know he's got this big look of pride in his face and uh Gin, Ginro and kohaku are kind of you know making fun of him for being really smug he's like ah i'm not smiling because i'm feeling smug it's just that i you know i got this idea and i ran an experiment it worked out it, science is just really fun dork but yeah i i do really like that got plenty of stuff to use for manufacturing so senku says that the next step is basically to uh you know get into like a proper manufacturing, a proper factory kind of thing uh, set up. Uh, they've got to, you know, get mine carts ready to go. Um, and uh, so that they can properly transport all this stuff that they're going to try and harvest from the, from the mountains. We get a little bit of a conversation between Ryusui and Gen uh, as Ryusui observes, like, you know, at, at this point, as we reach the age of manufacturing, a single genius won't really cut it. We need a leader with the stuff to make the most of these people and their talents. And leadership isn't just for anyone. And he flashes back to his past when, you know, as he was the heir to the Nanami Corporation, he kept having these lessons pounded into him that, you know, you should keep your emotions in check and not indulge in passion. But I never believed in that crap. I forged my own leadership style. 
Nobody's going to follow a leader who doesn't know how to have fun. The best leaders out there have the power to bring joy to the rest of the world. That's a nice little, little sentiment. And uh, they make a minecart and start carrying stuff uh, out of the mountain so that they can quickly get to, uh, you know, between the kingdom of science and their uh, their minefield. So it's pretty a quick little chapter. chapter. Yeah. Quick little chapter, but pretty enjoyable. Yeah, there's nothing too much to say about it. <clears throat> All right, let's talk about chapter 302 of the Seven Deadly Sins. Everyone's waiting for you. And uh, I want to note that if you aren't reading this chapter in a digital format. I, I, mean, I don't know how you read it otherwise, but this is like one of the best chapters to read digitally because last time uh, Bond is fighting against the physical form of Lydia that's been taken over by the Demon Lord, but we saw that the actual consciousness inside uh, Lodius is fighting back against the Demon Lord. And a large chunk of this chapter is divided down the middle horizontally and the top half of it portrays the conflict between Melodius and the Demon Lord inside the consciousness, and then the bottom half shows the physical fight happening in a row between Bond and the physical form. Mm-hmm. And it's great, because the two aren't really, like, it's not like a parallel between the two, necessarily. They're not, it's not like one thing happens in one scene to connect to the next. They're two independent scenes happening across, and it's just really cool to see this come across. Uh, as there's a lot of combat happening, but then one side starts going into a conversation as the other one is having this big fight going on. Um, and there's a lot to kind of like, if you wanted to dissect it, you could talk about, but we're again running short on time. So the big thing that kind of happens is Melodius is like, yeah, I know that when I get out, I'm going to have too much Demon Lord power, but that's fine. Because as long as I have the opportunity to break Elizabeth's curse and say goodbye to the, the sins, I'm okay with it. Uh, and Demon Lord's like, did you hear I killed her and did the curse on her. And it seems to shake Melodius quite a lot. Uh, so Bond is having this whole time kind of like cockily being like, oh, having a hard time controlling your body? Or did your son reject you? Uh, and that doesn't go very well for him. Uh, <laughs> oh, there's a hand in my gut. <laughs> the, the, the I don't know if we want to call him fake Melodius or whatever, Demon Lord Melodius. Uh, basically just grabs a around the neck and yeah, just fucking like, Four fingers death punches him in the stomach. Uh, and they're like, ah, oh, shit. Uh, there's nothing we can do right now. Nothing we're doing is reaching Melodius. There's no way to contact him. And the gout there says, wait a minute. I have an idea. So there's this big dramatic point where inside the consciousness, the Demon's Lord's like, in this mindscape, you will embrace no, 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 Chris. In this minscape. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm trying to help them out. <laughs> He's like, you're going to die here, so go now, sleep forever. Nobody is waiting for you anymore. And then they hear, you're wrong. And we look up and we get this big two-page spread. Bond's not there, but all the rest of the seven deadly sins are there, along with Elizabeth. And they're there to support Melodius in this fight. And a couple of them are crying, and it's a very sweet sentiment. And it's very nice to see all these characters together. And that's the end of the chapter. Yes. Very cool uh, build to the uh, conclusion that we're getting here. Uh, it's it's I really do like the stuff that we've gotten since this fight with the Demon Lord slash with Meliodas began. Mm-hmm. I love I love the, the actual direction of the chapter. too. Oh, yeah. There's something so cool about the way it's spread across like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you can like follow each thread individually or, you know, go back and forth between them. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. It's the Promised Neverland, chapter 126, a three-person talk. 
It's like, uh, you know, the really boring version of ECW's three-way dance. <laughs> three-way talk. That <laughs> makes me laugh so much. <laughs> Tommy Dreamer and Raven and uh, Sandman all get in the oh, ring. Oh, God. Like the three worst pro. Wait, how do we get RVD in there so it's all of the worst promos in the world I mean, in the same ring? Rob Van Dam t- cut really good ECW promos. Oh, that did not translate to WWE. No, it did not, but he did. I, I will never forget maybe the worst promo of all time is him against the feud of Ric Flair. And he's doing the Ric Flair speech where he's like, I'm a limousine riding, jet flying. Well, actually, I've dread cars. And sometimes when I fly, I ride coach. And you're like, this is painful someone just, stop this someone call a bomb threat to the building or something to the stop entire this. flow of the entire spiel yeah, like who told you to do this where he's to mimic it then stop cold and be like actually i'm part of the people i fly coach i also like to smoke weed and drive from time to time just like everyone else <laughs> everyone that damn big damn deal oh god so Promise Neverland. Chapter opens up. Dominic's recovering from his injury. Chris is still asleep, but there's no brain damage. Gonna be okay. They're gonna be fine, Chris. Okay. Thank God. I was really worried. Every night I woke up, I was like, I hope Chris is gonna be okay. Uh, Emma talks with uh, Ray as they're both visiting Chris in uh, his sleeping area, and she's just thinking, reflecting on the conversation that they had with uh, the three like generals that Norman has. And uh, she says, you know, they're fun and good people, but I didn't expect them to be so full of hatred. And uh, she's like, you know, Oliver and his friends all hated the demons too, but this is different. I was actually scared. Uh, it's not because of any empathy for the demons. I was scared of the depth of hatred in front of my eyes. And they said, you know, they're all the same. Does that include Mujica? I don't, think that they're right i mean that's that's wrong and uh but ray is like you need to understand something emma war war never changes <laughs> i'm deep insight into how war makes people hate each other <laughs> good old ray always always so topical that is what war is <laughs> fair war, sometimes people die emma it's a thing. And you know what happens when people die? It means that they're dead. <laughs> you I didn't realize that. <laughs> He's like cedar down like, Emma, I don't know how to tell you this, but sometimes when people die, they're dead. <laughs> it's a hard lesson to learn at an age so young. I learned it very young because of my favorite memory. <laughs> but uh, you're still... I'll never forget the first words that my mother sang to me. People die when they're dead. <laughs> And now that was my, a really interesting nursery rhyme. And now, my sweet baby bird, Emma, it's time for you to learn this lesson. <laughs> She's like, don't you fucking call me a baby bird ever again. And he's like, oh, sweet baby bird, Emma, so afraid of the world. <laughs> you know what else I've learned? People hate each other when they don't get along. <laughs> a lot of things, Emma, that you'll learn when you get older. When you're my age. <laughs> right with the same goddamn age. No, no, no. I'm like two months older than you. <laughs> uh, as you recall, con- physically, we're the same age, Emma. 
but consciously <laughs> you don't you don't have the baby memories that I do that have kept oh, me I've a got couple like years five older. Years right there. Yeah, you don't remember your things until you're like five years old or something like that. But I have memory memories. I remember everything. When did when did you start remembering things when you were like I don't know twenty? We're we're like thirteen. <laughs> oh, are you like a goldfish? Do you not remember anything? How many figures was I holding up just now? <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> war's bad. <laughs> I presume. Norman returns from his trip. Ray and and uh, Emma hear this, so they run off to meet with him. Uh, Norman discusses things a little bit with Vincent and says we're moving on to the next step. But of course, Emma and Ray show up to talk with him. They go off to have a private conversation. And uh, Ray starts off by saying, hey, so what's your plan to destroy the demons without losing one of our own are you going to cause a civil war and everyone's like yeah yeah i mean you could always read my mind ray and emma of course is super confused because you know her two guy friends are having this conversation that's going over her head uh, without them really stopping to explain things to her just like all times mm-hmm. um and yeah norman says i'm going to have the demons destroy each other uh, I, I formed an alliance with them and, uh, you know, he, he, he explains like who the people they met are and who the aristocrat families are and why they're willing to side with them. And he says we're going to use them. And he also, you know, explains who the Gatry clan are explaining a lot of the stuff that was set up in the previous chapter. But I think that this is actually important because it's showing us just how much Norman actually is revealing to Ray and Emma. Um, because he's not telling them absolutely everything, but he's telling them a lot. So there are certain details that he's omitting, but he's, you know, being honest with them and he's not very overtly uh, trying to deceive them, which was something that I appreciated because it's like, okay, you can see where the small holes are. You can tell that they're probably just because he doesn't want them to worry about them more than anything. Um, he says something also very important towards the end of his whole spiel, which is like, I hope yeah, we do this right. No one on our side is going to die. Uh, we're and yeah, this is the most ideal way of doing things. And he says, if it's about deception, I won't lose. This isn't about conceit or pride. It's about being prepared. We'll win without spilling blood for sure. And I'm just thinking like, you are so going to be wrong <laughs> myself. Uh, as he goes through, he's like, I'm just waiting for the shoe to drop and for it to be like, oh, Looks like Norman was wrong about how this whole thing was going to play out. Um, and Emma thinks over the whole situation and what Norman's plan is. And he's like, so, OK, yeah. So, you know, when they can't eat humans, they won't be able to maintain intelligence in human form. That's Norman's strategy. But, hey, Norman, and she says this out loud, did you know that there are demons that aren't like that? There are demons that won't degenerate even if they don't eat humans. And they probably won't be affected by the new things they eat either. And Ray backs her up on this and is like, yeah, I mean, if there are a bunch of demons who are like that, your strategy is not going to work. And that's why we want to ask you about that. And they start to say something else. But then Emma looks at the way that Norman is posing like a fucking supervillain. <laughs> like the lights go out behind him. and He's just <sighs> just one eye evilly illuminated. <laughs> it's OK. He's still good. <laughs> it's just a little bit of genocide. He's still good. He's still good. <laughs> But Norman says, how do you guys know about that? Where did you hear about this? Did you see her? You met her? You actually met her? I can't believe it. The clan of the evil-blooded girl is still alive. And we get this shot of Mujica in, like, this giant birdcage surrounded by these corpses. Uh, 
and uh, yeah, so it seems that uh, Norm is going to be revealing something very important about Mujiga that uh, Emma and Ray were not privy to. Hmm. All right. <sighs> All right. Let's, let's, let's move to Black Clover, page 196. Who didn't see Mastermind. <laughs> so uh, last time. It's uh, that it fault of Black Zetsu this whole time. Ronnie was evil and he blows a hole through Raya. And then they're like, who was this all along? And uh, Ronnie's like, the fifth leaf resides in the devil. And uh, he takes the stone and he puts it into the last slot. And uh, he talks to himself because he's like, welcome back. And then all the evil leaves him and like flows into it. And fucking the demon monster shows up and he's like, I'm home. Uh, and I love it. I, I love that he talks to himself as he like he calls and responses himself as uh, yeah, uh, this, the devil shows up. Um, very intimidating. And he's he like, looks super like this guy needs like help, you know, like he's, he's just, he needs a sandwich. Like He's, <laughs> he's so very lame. But he has very great hip to waist ratio. It's incredible. He's like, Ooh, it's good to be back. Oh, oh, you, you have the same face that Leash had all those years ago. Going to kill you now. And uh, Leash fires a bunch of laser blasts. And uh, the, the devil says, return. And all of them get knocked back. Uh, and you're like, oh, he must have reflect magic. Oh, oh no, Nick. He has a magic far stronger than that. Uh, so, you know, saves him because he's like, hey, that's Captain Vantage's body. So don't you don't you get it killed? And then he fires. That's, a big that's, cool. that's actually a cool line. Yeah, no, I, I like it. Uh, and then uh, he fires a big spirit uh, wind beam to be like, I'll end this now. And uh, the, the devil's like, vacuum wall. And he just absorbs it. And uh, he's like, you don't understand. In the face of my word soul magic, all is meaningless. You could say, I have all the elements of magic under my control. I'm not limited to one type. I could potentially use them all with my unique power. <laughs> it's like, there are four people in the room that have multiple <laughs> I, the great saint, can use any magic I'd like. Oh, really? Can you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not bound to the petty rules of one magic. You could one. say that I can use my words to paint any picture I want. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, the rules that bind you humans don't affect me, Satan. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and then, yeah, then Asta shows up in the chapter. <laughs> he just shows up. I'm here now! <laughs> <coughs> I understand someone here who can use multiple types of magic! So, as lame as the devil looks, um, I actually am okay with this development. It's unfortunate that it comes down to, like, <coughs> why did all this bad stuff happen? It was the devil! Uh, like just it being that straightforward is just kind of meh. But in defense of this twist, we did know from flashbacks from Patri's perspective that there were details that were missing. Why did the humans suddenly turn on us? It's like, oh, well, it turns out that Sauron corrupted them, you know. Uh, 
And also now we get to see, you know, what the hell the connection is between Asta and this guy, because Asta's powers had from the very first chapter. It's like, you know, hey, five leaf clover. It's associated with the devil. Well, also, there's all this stuff that connects Asta to Leashed and all this. So now maybe we're going to get some answers. And that's interesting to me. So uh, I, as we close in on the two hundredth chapter, it seems like something big is going to happen. And hey, maybe it'll be good. Potentially. I, I do feel that the pacing of this arc has been rather erratic as it's been such a long arc and we've switched antagonists like three times now. This really feels like the end of the war arc to Naruto when it was like, Obito's the bad guy. No, it's Madara. No, it's this person over here who showed up in the last five minutes. Right. They're the big bad. Like, I'm I'm fully expecting a devil to get wiped out by like some kind of like alien who's like, I can take any magic of anyone in the room, thus breaking the limit of only being able to use one magic at a time or something like that. I don't know. I do think it's weird to put this in right now when there's still like, I feel like other fights currently going on that we didn't have resolutions to. Like, it's going to be weird if we go back to be like, I wonder what's happening between Noel and Fauna when I'm like, well, clearly it's not actually going to be the end is like, how do we fight against the the elves and stop them like clearly we're gonna get to the point where like oh no the elves are gonna team up with everyone to be like we 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 should stop satan uh and you know do that so can we really put aside our differences in order to take on this one foe it's the devil (laughs) (laughs) i i also i am curious and this is maybe just because i have a particular taste when it comes to battle shonen but there's not a lot that looks like there's like waiting in the future for us so I am it's all, this, it's all the stuff that was laid out for long term was stuff that had to do with uh, the Midnight Sun. Yeah, and the Demon Lord. And mm. now it's all kind of here. So I'll be curious to see how this actually goes. Mm. Let's move on to One Piece, chapter 935, Queen. So we open on a shot of a new character, part of the excavation labor camp, the Vice Warden solitaire who has a monkey smile fruit and my first reaction when i saw her was like ah yes monkeys known for having six arms and i was like (laughs) okay the four limbs of the monkey were probably just added to her own so it's all right fine uh it turns out that uh, rizo has managed to steal the key to the sea stone cuffs uh, and he's on the run from them. He's trying to get to Luffy so that he can get set him free from that. Speaking of Luffy, he's beating up his guards right now, uh, which is bad because he's, you know, attacking the guards. So they're probably going to execute him. Um, guy with an elephant smile fruit uh, attacks Luffy. Um, Hyo uh, points out like that he's kind of in trouble. And Luffy's like, hey, no, no, I'm, I'm this is training for me. You know, I, I'm wearing these cuffs. So when these come up, I'm going to be even stronger because he can't use hockey. He can't use his devil powers. He can't use anything. But the uh, elephant elephant guy um, shot a fucking cannon out of his elephant trunk. So that didn't work out so well for, for Luffy. Hmm. We cut over to Queen, who, of course, had arrived in the in the prison in the last chapter. He is fawning over a picture of Kamurasaki and we get something kind of amazing, which is just apparently this. Okay. If this guy is not Frankie's opponent for this arc, then what the fuck are we even doing? Like (laughs) (laughs) he does. He, he says he's like, all right, it's showtime. (laughs) And uh, people are like, should we tell him that Kaburasaki's dead? No. (laughs) 
So he heads out and is like, if I get any thinner, I'll steal all your hearts. So I choose the way I am. I stay funky. He's doing a coordinated dance with his... I may look round, but it's all muscle, baby. So I sing the way I dance. That's funky. Play delicious. This is like... I the like, ultimate form of Brodus Clay, the Funkasaurus. I like to think that following Queen everywhere is someone playing one of those super funky bass guitars. Oh, no, 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 yeah, like, it's, it's just the Toad Jam and Earl soundtrack following this guy everywhere. <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, Queen! <laughs> Queen the Plague introduces having a 1.32 billion bounty. Woo. Um... He sits down in a throne after his performance and is like, all right, Babanuki, what are the top three things that you're worried about right now? Number three! And, well, Yusuke's kid's been escaped. Ah! What's number two? Someone stole the key to the sea prism sto- stone cuffs. Ah! What's number one? Straw Hat Luffy's escaping right now. What? <laughs> There's some funny fucking shit it's, in this it's chapter. It's an amazingly great joke. Ah, that's terrible! What's the next one? <laughs> the last one's like, oh, he's escaping right now as he turns, and you can see Luffy's climbing the giant wall. He's like, get fucking get him! <laughs> he's like, looks over his shoulder. Well, he's over there. I was after. I was attacking him, but then you showed up, and I had to report to you. <laughs> Top three things, and he counts up basically to like the the, the big no and number one. <laughs> Start Luffy still escaping. He hasn't escaped yet, but he is escaping. <laughs> Cut over to Ibisu Town from there. Uh, the guy that was uh, following Zoro around, uh, Frankie, Law, and Usopp have come across him, and he says that uh, Zoro has left. Uh, he said something about a sword being stolen. No idea who he's chasing or where he's going, but he's probably not, he's probably not making it back here though. <laughs> uh, they say they also say where the hell is Sanji, and they're like. I haven't seen him in a while. Wait, you don't think he... And we got to a bathhouse. Of course we got to a bathhouse. But we don't see Sanji. It's not that we don't see Sanji because he's invisible. We just have no idea whether or not he's there. So yeah. uh, so the only chapter this week that tries to give a run to, for We Never Learned's money uh, on fan service honestly might outdo it just in terms of sheer quantity because we get four chapters dedicated to this bathhouse uh, scene with uh, Nami and Robin and Shinobu. Uh, There is another joke about how Shinobu is ugly. I do like the way that it's specifically phrased though, because she's like, Oh yeah, I know that we're in this mixed bathhouse, but yeah, it's okay. You know, these strapping young men just can't, can't tear their eyes off me. And there's a guy who just goes, lady, can you get out of the way? (laughs) Uh, they head out of the bath in order to, you know, move on to the next stage of the bathhouse, I guess. While they're talking about the great Yakuza boss, Hyogoro the Flower, who ruled the underworld. And he's, and uh, Shinobu says, I mean, we're probably never going to reach our 5,000 samurai in a week. We're going to be lucky to get a tenth of that. But if, if Hyogoro were around, then we would have succeeded already. He was the face of Wano's underworld, completely controlled the seedy underbelly of the flower capital. He had clout with the Yakuza bosses of the other five regions and was kind to the people. A true knight of the old chivalrous ways, blessed with strength and charisma. When young, when Lordon was young, he admired boss Hyogoro's character. So, like, well, we should look for him. Uh, well, we don't know where he is. Also, he's probably dead. So, these things happen. 
Also, the octopus has showed up, along with several other octopi. They are the uh, bath boys. They scrub people. I, 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 I know. I don't know if this actually helps or hurts the uh, case for octopus for straw hat. If it's if there's just a bunch of them, so maybe soon though. Maybe we'll find out his was very special amongst the octopuses. He wanted to escape from the bathhouse and he lead only, a He only sure. has seven arms, maybe, oh. and like a cool scar. So we cut back to the prison. Uh, Luffy has been recaptured and is now sitting before a uh, queen. And uh, Hyo is there as well. And uh, he says, ah, look at you. You know, you shriveled up from malnutrition, fated to die a miserable forgotten death. And Hyogro says, do whatever you want with me, but spare this young man. I beg of you for, do it for me. And uh, queen says, I've been in my mind. I know just the thing to make this exciting. And Raizo is, you know, watching from the shadows. He's got the key, but he's like, well, how do I get it to him? Uh, but here's a voice from behind him. It's it's the the guy in the cage in the darkness, the dangerous pers- prisoner. And uh, they they say, like, I can't believe it. You look just the same as you once did. And Raizo's like, who, who is that? He says, it's me, Kawamatsu. Is Lord Momonosuke alive and well? And that's where we end the chapter. I, I like it. It's it's a solid chapter. Um, and I also just really like Queen. Queen's such a fun, cool character to get like some more like little detail of. Yeah. Um, I did really like the scene with Queen. It was very amusing. Um, we're moving things along a little bit more briskly in order to introduce these different uh, red, you know, scabbards so that we can just get to the next part of the story. And they do seem to be coming pretty quickly, but they all, you know, don't feel like they're coming out of nowhere because we've, you know, already been introduced to them. So, yeah, it's fun. Yeah. All right. That is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap this week. I want to thank you guys for joining us for the show. What are our favorites this week, though? Uh, MVP favorites I'm going to give my MVP to Seven Deadly Sins. I, I also really would like to give it to uh, uh, We Never Learn, but... Uh, as I said, there were some parts that attracted from it, but Seven Deadly Sins was just such a cool, innovative chapter. Uh, I'm going to give mine to uh, Food Wars. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's very... But Nick, how is Mega Me going to be your character of the week then? Yeah, really? <laughs> uh, I'm going to give mine to uh, Neolation. I thought that it was a really good conclusion to this thing, and uh, I like the way that it did. <laughs> came together and also the way that it carries on the uh, kind of points of uh, Neo's relationship with his allies. So, yeah. Uh, and for my MVP, I'm going to give it to Queen. Uh, again, I really wanted to give it to Kirisu, but Queen is like just such a fucking fun, cool character that I, I, I felt like it was very appropriate to get this this little scene. I'm going to agree with that. Uh, I that of all the stuff that I you know, read for this week, the one shot of him dancing was the one that stuck out of my mind as I was, you know, rereading this chapter to prepare my notes. I was like, oh, Queen's going to do his dance now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think for that reason alone, I got to give it to him. So. And uh, the audience said last Sayuki was their favorite chapter this week. And <laughs> uh, going along with that, Ryonosuke is from uh, last Sayuki is their favorite character or MVP of the week. So. All right. Yeah. 
That's going to do it for today's recording, everyone. I want to thank you guys uh, who joined us on the live show. We record the show around 7.30 to 8 Eastern time on twitch.tv slash T and smashcast.tv slash T. If you want to check out our past episodes, you can do that in a number of different places. There is a weekly mug recap at poppy.com. There's a YouTube channel. There's iTunes. If you check us out, wherever you do, uh, if you could leave us a comment, leave a rating, subscribe, all that good stuff so that it can help out the algorithm and help us to dethrone the woodworkers and stand at the top of the hobby section. If you uh, want to stay updated on when we're releasing stuff, uh, like bonus episodes, when we're you know, recording the show, you can follow us on Twitter. At WMR Podcast is the official podcast account, and your hosts are at Rolo T and at Nick F. Time. If you would like to send us a question for us to answer in a future episode of the show, or if you just want to send us general feedback, you can do that stuff via email. Recap at yahoo.com is the uh, address to send that stuff to. And if you want to suggest a future manga for us to read, you can check out our Discord channel. There's all sorts of stuff, uh, different chat rooms going on there. You can bond with community, uh, the WMR community. And uh, Ninja X3i maintains this giant spreadsheet that uh, shows all the stuff that we've covered, the stuff that uh, has currently been requested, the stuff that we're currently covering. And uh, if you uh, lend your uh, input to that, it helps us to determine what series we uh, can do next. Special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters. Your support allows us to create all sorts of fun bonus content for you guys to enjoy. We are going to be doing a Magic the Gathering uh, lore discussion this month for our bonus show. And with a special, special guest. With a special guest. Because, I mean, I certainly can't contribute to the conversation. The, the most I know about Magic the Gathering lore was like in 2003. There was a, there was a thing called the Mirari. Like, I don't know anything beyond that. Like... <laughs> Anything after that point, I'm just like, well, I there was the last story before that had to do with this like ship, I guess. That's all I know. <laughs> we want to extend some special thanks to our talk artist, Steve Mann, and to Infamous Planet as well. Uh-huh. That's going to do it, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Now let's get out of here, Nick. Yes. Now that we have uh, completely. And quickly decimated our opponents this week. We have to go and lose to Asahi Arena next week. So Yes, we, we tore it apart. Next week we're going to get our shit pushed in. Uh, and I presume to then tie this to wrestling. I'm normally the Miz as a bad guy, but he's the face now. So you yeah. have to be the Shane McMahon who attacks me from behind as my, <laughs> as my dad, who is not a very good actor, has to sit along and be like, no, my son, stop. It was very awkward, yes. <laughs> no, don't put him in the world's worst triangle choke. <laughs> oh, man, who tried to make Sammy McGrain a thing? Why do they keep letting it happen? All right, goodbye, everybody.